Have you ever asked yourself where the idea of innocent until proven guilty came from? Thanks for joining us for another encounter with the truth as we open the pages of some sections in your Bible that you may have overlooked. Today, Dave turns our attention to Deuteronomy chapter 26 and helps us learn where the court system that we take so much for granted came from. Let's join Dave for our study titled, Truth and Justice for All. We take it for granted there's going to be a grand jury. We take it for granted that you're going to have to have lawyers that present both sides. We take it for granted that there's going to be this long, prolonged process of evaluating evidence. We take it for granted there's going to be all this police procedures. Where did all that come from? You know that there are societies where the person that was maligned, you know there are societies where those family members would just come and they would just take life if they could. You call it blood feuds. You remember all the, the big thing in Kentucky and with, with the McCoys and, and what with the other family. You remember that all that back and forth you know, that you have with blood feuds. And so in our society, we just take it for granted that there's going to be justice, there's going to be court, there's going to have to be hearings. But I want you to understand that the foundation of all of that is in the Word of God. The foundation of that kind of, of, of court hearing, of judges, is all in the Word of God. And that's what we, why we're studying the book of Deuteronomy. Because the book of Deuteronomy lays the foundation for the judicial system of our land. It lays the foundation for representative government. It lays the foundation for principles like justice and truth and justice for all. And I want you to think, I was talking to a, a fellow that works over in New Guinea. And he was sharing with me so that since New Guinea got its independence, it's, it, the society just wrestles trying to find its meaning. Why is that? Because they're trying to mix two different foundations. They have this old um, tribal tradition. They have this old folk tradition. And then they also have the new tradition they've been taught from the Judeo-Christian ethic. And he shared with me, just for example, in their old tradition, if you kill somebody who's your enemy say, from another clan, that's an honorable act. That's a very honorable act, and you should not be punished for that. But if you offend, if you offend someone in your clan, someone that's in your group, that's a heinous act deserving of death, possibly. Now, just stop and think about it. If you offend somebody in the old traditions, that's worthy of death. But if you take someone's life in other words, if you commit a blood, uh, there is a blood feud and you go and attack somebody, that's okay. Now, what do you think about that? Which is more important? Which is a more serious crime? Being offended or taking someone's life? You see, all of you would automatically respond. Thou shalt not murder is emblazoned on your soul. And you say, well, obviously, that's wrong. To murder is much more serious than offending somebody. But why do you think that? Why do you think that? Because you believe that on Mount Sinai, there's a living God that came down and talked to us and revealed to us the principles of morality and the way that things should be. 
And what the Deuteronomy is doing is it's giving us access to this revelation. And I want you, as we go through our, our study today in Deuteronomy 25, I want you to think about the, the ethic, the underlying principles, the value of human life, the importance of, of fairness and, and judicial hearings and all that. I want you to think about that as we study. Because our passage today in Deuteronomy 25, as we move towards the end of the book, kind of goes through various different miscellaneous um, laws. And what Moses is doing, he's saying, I'm getting near the end of my message, kind of like a preacher that's near the end of his message, and he says, I want to get this in, I want to get this in. And what Moses does is just start piling up a whole lot of different laws, and it's like a dad is saying, man, I need to get this information to you. So open up to Deuteronomy 25, because we begin with a hearing. We begin in a courtroom, and Deuteronomy 25 begins with some kind of a judicial dispute. There's been a crime committed. It's a serious thing. It's not just an argument like your kids having arguments with two or three of you. But if you look at Deuteronomy 25, verse 1, it says, When men, and we could also add it, when women have a dispute, they are to each other. They're to knock each other's heads in. They're to hit each other with a stick. Is that what it says? Everyone tell me, if two men, if men have a dispute, they are to, everyone tell me. Take it to court. Have you ever stopped thought about how, how important that is? In other words, the Lord God of heaven says that if you have, if there's been a crime committed, if there's been something done against you, if you've been hurt, maybe something's been stolen, maybe someone in a very extreme sense took the, a life of a member of your family, there's tremendous anger that wells up when that takes place. And there's a tremendous desire to want to take matters into your own hands and just go and get them, isn't there? Sure. In fact, there's primitive societies that that's exactly what they do. In fact, some of the major conflicts in Bosnia that's going on is blood feud. You know, you killed a member of my family, I'm going to get you. And it goes back and forth down through the centuries. The Bible's saying no, that society can't operate like that. A society based upon principles that are right and fair and just needs to work on the principle there needs to be a court. So it's saying that if you have a dispute with somebody, a legal dispute, you are to take it to the court. And we just take that for granted. But I want you to be thankful we do that. I want you to be thankful that, that the Lord set up this idea that there's an impartial place to go. As imperfect as it might be and as much as we might gripe about our judicial system, we need to really appreciate the fact that we have courtrooms and we need to encourage some of our young people to get trained in that area of life so that they're going to be the salt and light of those that really are committed to moral values in that area. We take it for granted, but this is one of the foundational times where Moses is telling an early society, if you've got a, a legal dispute with somebody, you can't just bop them off yourself. You can't just take their life. You need to go to a courtroom. And then it says in that courtroom, the judges will decide. Notice the second part, the judges will decide the case. They will acquit those who are innocent and they will condemn the guilty. The purpose of this court is to determine who is guilty and who is innocent. It's not an entertainment. It's not just fun. It's not just a legal game. And it's one of the things that we as believers need to really pray about today because in our society, a lot of it is about big names. It's all about money. And a lot of it's about just entertainment. 
And all the big, you know, the big networks put it on because we're hungry, man. You know, what's better? We don't have to watch Perry Mason. We can watch the real thing. And I want you to understand as a born-again believer, I want you to understand how tragic that is to think about a courtroom like that. And I want you as God's children, and myself included, for us not to think like that. We need to be praying that the truth will come out. That reality will be disclosed. That we will really understand and we will know what happened and that fairness and justice will be able to be done. If really has murdered somebody, there should be justice done. And it's not a game. And that's what Deuteronomy is saying. Deuteronomy is saying that when these judges get together in the courtroom, it's not just legal games. It's not just moving things on a chessboard. The issue here is, will the Lord God of heaven reveal the truth through this process? And our system has been founded upon this system of Deuteronomy. It was initially founded with God being called upon to superintend, and a government viewed their right to execute justice as flowing from that legitimate right from God. We've lost a lot of that in our culture. And what we're seeing is what happens when just money, just power, just entertainment, you know, just fun, just human values begin to take play. Now, as God's children, we need to come back to the book and we need to be praying, Lord, help us to be those that represent and cherish what it means to have a courtroom, that it's been given to us by God. And the idea of having impartial judges that, that can impartially evaluate evidence, that's a good gift from God. Now notice the third thing. It says in verse 2, If the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall make him lie down and have him flogged in his presence with the number of lashes his crime deserves. But he must not give him more than 40 lashes. If he's flogged more than that, your brother will be degraded in your eyes. And you sit there and go, man, I knew this was some ancient law code. Man, how, how cruel and vindictive. Man, it sounded like the old days of the pilgrims and the Puritans where they took people out and they hit them with rocks. That's terrible. I want you to stop and think about this. A crime has been done. In fact, the words that are used in this text here indicate that a very serious crime has been done. Someone has, has had evil come into their life. And this evil has caused them to, to maybe steal someone's possessions, maybe to go in and hurt somebody, not to the point of death, but to hurt somebody. In other words, the text is implying there is someone who's guilty. And I want you to notice that the purpose of the court is not to say, well, society is guilty. Something went wrong in Israel. Something has tragically got, gone wrong among the people of God. We must all pay the penalty for this. That's not what the court is about. The court says that there is someone that's done something evil against someone else. They go to the courtroom to determine in an impartial hearing, with an impartial trial, looking at all the evidence to determine what is really happens here. Then there's a decision. This person is guilty. This person is innocent. Now the guilty party has to be dealt with. Now our society is so far away from that as moms and dads were so far away from that. In fact, one of the reasons that it comes to this, one of the reasons that this person is before a court of law 
is because it's very possible that there wasn't a mom and dad who when they were just little two-year-olds and they looked at mom and dad and said, No! Mom and dad would go, Isn't that sweet? Isn't that great? They're expressing themselves. What joy of freedom in this family. We want the little tot to just learn to be able to just be rebellious joyously. That's not going to work, brothers and sisters. Just not going to work. I'm not talking about destroying a child's natural talents. I'm not talking about destroying someone's ability to, to find their way in life. That's not what I'm talking about. But I want every one of you to know there is such something called evil, something called wickedness, something that, that, that's really destructive. And beware of it in your own life. When you, when you have that thing welling up inside of you and you just want to, you know, someone that's in authority over you, like your mom and dad, or like a policeman, or like a judge, when you feel that welling up inside of you, I don't want to be under that authority. Watch out. God wants us to live under authority. God wants us to live with those protections over us. And that's a very evil thing, deep within my heart and within your heart. And, and, and when it explodes in outward, hurtful activity, it is called wickedness. And the word in Hebrew called wickedness means that you bring hurt. That's the literal meaning of the word. It means that you bring pain. And that's why God is so concerned about that. All of God's law relate to, to make us happy and to make us fulfilled. And when you break God's law, it brings pain. It brings real strong pain. And it's wicked and it's evil. And what the Bible's saying is that when it reaches a legal proportion where someone has broken the law of the land, then they have to pay the penalty. Now, what do we do in our society? Someone gets picked up for drugs. What do we do? Well, we let them off first several times. Then we put them in a penitentiary, which is penitence. To do penitence, that goes back to the old Quaker idea. They're supposed to do penitence and, then, and we leave them there for months on end. Now, what do they do in old Israel? Now, what do they do in that penitentiary? Well, they meet with a bunch of other people that have been very much committed to wickedness, evil. In fact, a lot of them, the first time they go in, get exposed to a whole lot of other people that are even more evil than they are. And they learn how to do evil really effectively. Now, what did they do in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, if you did something that was not worthy of a capital, of capital punishment was not worthy of death so there's a whole area of punishments that were that were not worthy of death what did they do they did not lock you up right there in the courtroom before though that it convicted you they made a man lie down and they whipped him with a stick not with a rawhide thong like the romans did later not with lictors like the romans did with metal in it that would rip a person's back to smithereens they hit him with a stick. And I want you to notice, it had to be done in the presence of the judge. It had to be done in the presence of the courtroom of those that convicted this person. And it could only be done, and they had to count it. In ancient Assyrian law, they might beat you 60 to 80 times. In some of the Turkish law, in not too far gone times, they might beat you over 100 times. In old Israel, you could only be whipped 40 times. You could only be hit with a rod 40 times. And it had to be counted. 
And then it adds something very important. I want you to see what it said. This is, but he must not be given more than 40 lashes. If he's flogged more than that, your brother will be degraded in your eyes. I want you to notice something. There's a danger not only for there to be abuse in the number of people in, in the guy himself that's being punished, but there's real danger here in those that are watching this. And what the Bible safeguards is the dignity even of a guilty criminal. Even the guilty criminal cannot be whipped more than 40 times. Why? Because he's not an animal. In fact, that's one of the reasons why the Old Testament didn't allow people to be incarcerated. Because you cage animals. You lock animals up. Like if you stole in ancient Israel, you didn't go away for two years or three years. In old Israel, you got whipped. It was over in about 10 minutes. And you walked out of the courtroom free and probably learning a lesson. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that we should return because we're not under the law. We're under the New Testament covenant of grace. But there's principles about here and some of the underlying normative principles that I want you as a body of believers to realize. I want moms and dads, first of all, I want you to understand that there's such a thing as evil in a society that doesn't believe there is. And that evil begins to explode in your children very, very young. It's very important to be fair, just like in this text. They need to have hearings. They need to be able to state their case. You need to be sure that you get the facts. You don't just hit them for anything that comes. But you need to understand there comes a time when you're dealing with just evil, pride, rebelliousness, lying, hurting someone else, anger that will, that will lash out and hurt somebody. And the Bible's teaching us it needs to be dealt with strongly. The other passages that talk about using a rod are in the book of Proverbs. And our modern society reacts so much to the heinous evil of abuse. And I want you to know the Bible teaches that that kind of a person is a fool. He's one of the worst kinds of, of fools. He's a hardened fool. And the Bible says he's the one that needs to get the rod. So the Lord's not telling any woman that it's all right for you to be hurt in any way. A man that touches you or that endangers you like that is evil. I'm not talking about that. Our society uses extremes to just nullicate whole principles. The Bible's not saying that, that all kinds of, of rods and all kinds of spankings are right. The Bible's not saying that. But the Bible is saying that a loving dad and mom that are really walking with their God will realistically understand that as little children develop in their, in their homes, that evil will begin to express itself. And when there is rank rebellion, hardened obstinance against them, not spilling milk, but strong nose and, and strong rebelliousness and, and strong, I'm not going to do what you want me to do, then the Bible says if you spare the rod, you don't love your child. And having raised four kids, I know that that's true. And what we need is some loving, gentle, but just exercise of discipline. Because evil is real. And if we don't deal with the evil when they're little, then it comes to this courtroom case. And then it comes to a government problem. And our society is very much there. Everyone's saying, even the secular people are saying, the real problem is, where are the dads and moms? Instead of just moaning about what's happening on the outside, we need to be very concerned. I want every one of you parents to say, what am I doing in my home? Is there a consistent standard of right and wrong in my home? Is there an honesty in my home? 
Is there fairness in my home? Daddies, you have a responsibility to protect your children from ever facing this kind of a courtroom. And you can do it if you stand strong for the Lord and you stand for truth and justice in the home. And so what we have is we have a, some of the foundational principles. What I want you to see is that Deuteronomy talks about courtrooms. It talks about impartial hearings. It talks about finding out the truth. There's a great focus on justice. And then it also talks about the fair execution of punishment that could never go to an extreme. But it was executed fairly, it was done quickly, and it was over. And then the person was free again, free to walk into Israel, free to be able to be with their family, free to be able to go out. And I think we need to think of some ways that our society could implement some of those same principles. We as believers can be salt and light, bringing principles of fairness into those areas of life. The next verse is really interesting. In verse 4 it says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Now this is one that, like I told you, you know, the writer just, you know, we just talked about courtrooms. What in the world do oxen have to do with courtroom hearings? Nothing. Nothing. Doesn't really have anything to do with it. The writer just jumps to another subject, which my homiletics professor at Dallas would hate. They'd say, you always have to deal with just one thing. Whenever you preach a message before, it just is one thing. Well, I can't really teach you the Word of God and really help you to understand it by just giving you one thing. Because sometimes the Bible jumps from this subject to this subject. And you know what I found is I live with people over a long time. They can handle it. In fact, media techniques and video techniques use that constantly. The news jumps you. They hit you with about 20 different video images. And your mind jumps just like that. Well, your mind needs to jump again because now you've got another picture. We just went from a courtroom. Now we're jumping. We've got this two oxen that are yoked together. They're on a pivot. The corn stalks are all laid out on this hard threshing floor. And the oxen are walking all over this stuff, stomping on it, trying to separate the husk from the kernel. That's what's going on here. Now, the evil farmer would put a muzzle on the ox. Why would they do that? The evil farmer would put a muzzle on the ox. Why do you think they would do that? Why do you think an evil, Scrooge-like farmer would put a muzzle on the ox? Tell me. So he wouldn't eat it. Why wouldn't he want the ox to eat it? Because he wants it all for himself. You see, so that the person, it's like a Scrooge. You know, here's this oxen that's using his strength to get the corn it produced and harvested the way that it needs to be, but the farmer doesn't want the oxen to eat. And so he muzzled the ox because then he'll have a bigger, a bigger harvest. He'll get more money because there will be more corn because he doesn't have these two stupid oxen eating it. Now, is that good business practice? What do you think? What's going to happen to the oxen eventually? You've got a muzzled oxen. He's working all day long. What's going to happen to the oxen? He's going to get tired. He's going to get weak. He's going to run out of gas. How many of you have ever tried to go run a marathon without eating anything? Many of you have ever watched marathon runners. You ought to go out with a marathon runner before the night before their race. Man, they go eat pasta, Italian food coming out of their ears. They try to get as much carbohydrate in them as they can. Why? Because they're going to work that next day in that race. You say, well, what is this, this little verse? What does this have to do with my life? I knew the Bible doesn't really apply to everyday life. Listen, some of you are managers. Some of you are over people. Next week, some of you will make decisions about what the people underneath you can make. And there's a philosophy that's inside of us 
that can be, man, I can pay them. Some of you work for managers that are like this. Man, we can't pay them. Man, if we pay them like that, we're not going to have enough. And so they, they put a muzzle on you. Some of you work in situations where they tell you to do a job, they never give you the money to do it. They never give you the authority to do it. They never give you the, what you need. They never give you the resources to do it. And then everyone will gripe how bad business is. Business won't work and, and things aren't going the way that they should go. It's this principle, don't muzzle the ox, it's treading on a corn. I want to tell every one of you in business, you want to make your business shine? You need to ask the Lord to give you gifted people. You need to ask the Lord to give you honest people. You need to ask the Lord to give you skillful people, and then you need to really reward them. You need to make it really good for them to stay there and to be there. And you'll be more productive than you can ever imagine. They will bless you untold times. You will have guys and girls working underneath you with incredible talent that will use their talent for you because they're devoted to you because they know that you have their best interest at heart and you'll let them blossom. That's, that's learning not to muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. And every one of you that have businesses need to think about that. What about the people underneath you? You see, you live in a society where if you have your business, you worry about you and me and the bottom line. And what happens, what I want you to see is our whole society just thinks about themselves. You know, workers think about themselves and the owners think about themselves. We need to, as God's children, realize that is the way the world is, but that's not the way we are. You say, Dave, I want to really be a witness for Christ. I want to really have a powerful influence for him. In your board meetings, in your corporate meetings, in your companies, stand up for these principles, even if you lose everything. And you might even throw in, hey, I just heard an old proverb. It says, don't muddle the ox that treads out the corn. Man, we've got a young guy, a young girl. Boy, I see a lot of potential there. I see a lot of talent. Let's bring them along, man. Let's take all the muzzles off. Let them be expressive. Let them be free. I'm going to illustrate that. This verse is used in the New Testament. This verse is used in the New Testament. It's applied to the right of pastors and missionaries to receive their pay. It's always a difficult thing for a pastor or missionary to talk about that, but that's true. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.18 says, the labor is worthy of their wages. Don't muddle the ox. It treads out the grain. And it's all in a context where it says, the elder that is worthy of of the, the elder that teaches the word of God, that labors hard at doing that, is worthy of double honor. And I want all of you to realize, I want to just share with you how this principle works. There's a lot of churches that would say, like, I've just come back from speaking to 500 kids in Nebraska, 400 kids in New York, 350 adults, been all over the country. Now, there's some of you that says, man, I don't want a pastor that does that. Man, our pastor should be right here. He should be taking care of our needs. He should be doing all of our things. And the idea is we need to depend upon that. You haven't ever muzzled me. Because you've kept the focus that our job is to proclaim the gospel into all the world. You say, Dave, how, you know, what keeps your spirit going? That reality? Being committed to that? And what it does, it enables me to learn from other parts of the body of Christ. It, it enables me to have other parts of the body of Christ speak to me. And we get ideas that, that help us. You know what else it does for you? 
It helps you to realize, man, we're not dependent just upon Dave. Man, the Spirit of God doesn't just breathe through Dave. In other words, the reason that we've been able to invest our lives here is that you have kept in focus the reality that, man, we need to take this message into all the world, all the world of our town, all the world of our state, all the world of our country. And what I want you to understand is that that not muzzling and eventually enables us to have a long-term ministry because it refreshes us, it renews us. And it shows you that principle. You constrict, you clamp down, Instead of opening your hand, and suddenly everything dies. When you open your hand and you let people express their gifts, then incredible things happen that you would never, never guess. I want you to see the richness of God's Word. Do you think that Moses ever dreamed that 3,000 years later, 3,400 years later, we would be sitting here and it would have that broad an application? an application to business people, an application to, to people that are in full-time Christian ministry? No, he never dreamed that. But the Spirit of God breathed into that, and it gave it life. And one of the things I want to illustrate from this little verse is not just some practical things about the way that you work with your employees, about the way that you work with your pastors and your missionaries and people like that. I also want you to see the, the richness of God's Word, and that this little verse explodes in our life, and it helps us to have deep insight into the way that life should be. This is a good breaking point as we continue exploring truth in the multiple changing images way back in the biblical book of Deuteronomy. Join us next time as Dave talks to us about some unusual principles in the ancient society of Israel and a very strange case like the saga of the contemporary Babbitts.